Hello and welcome back to the R Squared Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian. You can find me on Twitter at Dynasty underscore IM. And I'm Akash. You can find me on Twitter at YZR underscore Fantasy. So we're definitely late to talking about the NFL draft, but I still think it's a great time to talk about like rookie prospects, things that the draft changed for us, um, besides like the obvious of you know every quarterback that we wanted to be a good Konami quarterback just turned into Kellen Mond right in front of our eyes. So there was a lot of that. There was there were some surprises in terms of like draft capital being higher than we thought it would. Uh, like even Wandell, who we were hoping for second round, still a little bit surprised. Like he was the eleventh. Yeah, yeah I was definitely surprised. I was really and excited then, though. I was on. Um, oh yeah. I was on Tyler the Fantasy Creators uh, stream, if you know him, and I was freaking out. I was absolutely elated. Now I was really stoked to see him go in the second round. I know. Especially People laugh at the Giants, but they just got a steal. Wandale Robinson season, man. Yeah, I agree. And then there was guys like Isaiah Spiller who went round four, who mm-hmm. rip, rest in peace. Absolutely. Well, actually, we could we could start with Isaiah Spiller. Right, because we're kind of like, talking about him. Yeah, and I mean, his ADP in rookie drafts is like mid-second. Something mm-hmm. ridiculous like that. Like, you should not be investing in a day three running back in the second round. Yeah, and it's, I've heard similar things to the um, – Michael Carter uh, excuses last year where it was like, oh, he was so close to being a third rounder. And I was just talking to someone on Twitter about this, which is why I have the information right here where players to go. So Isaiah Spiller went at pick 126 in the fourth round. And if we look at every fourth round running back to go earlier than him in the fourth round since 2014, which is as much as I can fit on my screenshot that I posted on Twitter, we have Ramondre Stevenson, Michael Carter, LaMichael Pirine, Joshua Kelly, Trayvon Wesco, Justice Hill, Benny Snell, Naeem Hines, Mark Walton, Tariq Cohen, Samaje Pirine, Tyler Irvin, Jeremy Langford, Kadeem Carey, Devonta Freeman, and Andre Williams. So not a lot of success there, just like the rest of the pool of round four and all day three running backs. It's a very low percentage outcome for success, um, mainly just drafting these guys to flip for a quick buck. But when you're drafting Spiller in the mid-second, the gains you can make on that investment are reduced because of the capital you spent on him. I'd more I'd look to target day three running backs more in the third and fourth round that you can flip once if they gain any value. Yeah, because the point of flipping those day three running backs later is that you're flipping them for like say a second round pick, and mm-hmm. you shouldn't you shouldn't spend that when your goal is to flip for that. Exactly. So, but the the other piece that I want to hit on too is, so like you hear this talk that, oh, he's so close to the third round. Like he was almost a third round running back. But even third round running backs, the hit rate's like not good. Like when we are looking at running backs, second round is kind of like the round. If you're not around one running back, like second round is still the round. Like obviously you're going to get guys in the third round, like Kamara, Jamal Charles, Marco Murray, like Hunt, David Johnson, even David Montgomery. But all the guys I named are like, a few success stories from the third round because yeah there's the third round's much better success rate than being a day three running back but we could i could talk for the next like five minutes all the names that haven't worked out in the third round because the third round isn't like some great like we're still hanging on for hope more so with third round like the Mm -hmm. way that the way that people are saying he was a fourth rounder almost a third we really don't even really want third round all that much because, like, for every position, third round isn't a great round. It just saves you from being a day three pick. I think there's a good segue into a player that I think we actually like more than ADP. 
uh, a third round running back, Rashad White, who I really like. And it's because of the upside of the position. We're obviously searching for bell cows with receiving work. And Rashad White was a fantastic receiver in college, has the size to be a bell cow, and was drafted in the third round by the Buccaneers. Like Ian said, third round isn't amazing capital, but the upside I think is absolutely worth it in the mid-second of where of rookie drafts where White's going. I've scooped him up there a bunch. And, you know, Leonard Fournette's there, which I think is worrying some people because immediately he might not get a lot of work. But really, I think in a long, long play, Leonard Fournette's 27 years old. Um, Rashad White, if he is good, which I think he very well could be, um, could easily have a high upside. Yeah, no, I'm definitely with you on that. I was just looking back because Rashad White's receiving profile, even though it's a really low sample because he came from junior college was still just really, really damn good. So one of the things I looked at, so all day two running backs since 2006, Rashad White holds only the third highest receiving yard market share in his only season. And the funny thing about that is that the two, the only two running backs to have a higher receiving yard market share uh, than Rashad White did was actually Ty Montgomery twice, but he was a wide receiver in college. So Rashad White, in terms of, actually being a running back in college was the best receiving profile that we've seen from a day two running back, which is kind of crazy to think about. So that's why we're saying he has such a huge upside because he does have that Alvin Kamara-esque ceiling in terms of receiving, which Mm -hmm. is also like you just brought up the point with Leonard Fournette already being there. I, that, that does in terms of like, yeah, we want an open situation, open depth chart for, a running back to go into, especially in a good offense like Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. But if we're saying the ceiling is Alvin Kamara, especially at price, you should be just because of the ceiling like that. But also Alvin Kamara, he went into a situation where Mark Ingram was on a really good offense. And Mark Ingram at the time was really good. That's the thing. But it's funny to look back at it because Alvin Kamara, yeah, he as a rookie was really good and he caught a ton of passes despite not. And that's what made him really good. He didn't get a ton of carries. But the funny thing when looking at Mark Ingram, that was his first or second best season of receiving in terms of volume. Like that was his first or second best target share season was when Alvin Kamara came into the offense. So I don't think like, yes, we wish Rashad White wasn't in, you know, Leonard Fournette being in front of him, but I don't think that's going to hold him back from being a successful rookie. Like I don't think, we should, if he's not good this year, I don't think we should make the excuse that Leonard Fournette was holding him back. Otherwise, you know, you end up doing that with Ronald Jones until he's on a different team. But <laughs> yeah, like I think if we're gonna find out if Rashad White is good or not, we'll still figure that out whether Leonard Fournette is in front of him, hurt or not. Yeah, I think he absolutely. I think he absolutely can carve out a role. He's just that talented of a receiver. Yeah, and the thing is, like the third round, like that's the Bucks telling us that they do like Rashad White, because yeah. if you're drafting someone in the third round, you do still like them, whether the hit rate's fantastic or not. As an organization, if you're investing your third round pick, you are saying you like that player. It's just on if that player's good, and there's stuff in Rashad White's profile that says this guy has a really high ceiling in fantasy football, and especially where he's getting drafted, that, that you really don't have to care about the floor all that much. Yeah, absolutely. He's, his ADP is right next to Spiller and Damian Pierce, two day three uh, running backs. I don't think they're in the same category as Rashad White. Yeah. Wouldn't it be funny if Rashad White 
was drafted to the Bills in the third round instead of them drafting James Cook. How high would his ADP be right now? He'd be like, I, it would be, I would honestly not be surprised. He could go like 103 or something. I, I think he could go 103 because people love running backs. Yeah, I mean, and they love sit running back situations too. That's and it's hard not to because that's one of the few spots where situation kind of matters. Mm-hmm. But shoot, just wanted to think about. Just wanted to think about. It didn't I mean, actually think, happen. Think about, like, what if we were sitting here right now? Just think about like if James Cook was even if he went round two, if he went mm-hmm. round two to the Bucks and Rashad White went round three, but he went to the Bills, I yeah. feel like would see a huge swing, which is kind of crazy to think about, really. Yeah, I think we definitely would. The, the main appeal for James Cook is the situation. I'm not buying into it. It's and the, the draft yeah, the situation. Right. The draft capitals, yeah, the draft capitals pretty good. But I think people are really like the situation when I'm not seeing, you know, he's relatively undersized. I know that there's like so hard cutoffs aren't the best, but uh 200 pounds, I think he is a bit undersized for uh to be a workhorse and he never been a workhorse in college only has 230 carries in college and uh more than 100 of them were in his last season that's just around 60 carries per year i don't think he's ever been uh seen as a workhorse i don't think we should see him as such now he's more of a satellite back he's a he did have good receiving in college which does help uh, in the nfl for scoring fantasy points but i don't think he's more than uh I don't, I don't think he's more than a satellite back in a good offense, which has its use, but I don't think it's worth a late first. Yeah, and in terms of his profile, it's also not good, like you were kind of pointing out. He grades out as a low floor back for me, and there have been plenty of low floor running backs to go in the second round, like get good draft capital but still not be a very good prospect. Guys like Eddie Lacy, Carlos Hyde would be the success stories because they had RB1 seasons. But then you have guys like Michael James, Jeremy Hill, Kenny Irons, Brandon Jackson, Isaiah Peed, Monty Ball, and I could name Amir Abdullah. Like I could go down about five or six more. You're kind of getting the point that even the few success stories, like if you think we put Eddie Lacy and Carlos Hyde in dynasty fantasy football right now, and they just like they just had their first RB1 season or whatever. I still don't think the value is that high. Wide receiver talk. We did have six wide receivers go in the first round, which I don't have it off the top of my head, but that's the most in quite a few years. That's tied with uh, 2020. So, which would be the most ever, right? I think so. Yeah, I think that tied for most ever. Which I think there's I, been a few, few through history, but absolutely, it's a lot. Uh, 2021, how many did we see? Um, there was Henry Ru- Or wait, you're talking 2021, last year. 2021, we stuff. had Jace, Waddle, Smith, Bateman, Tony. Bateman, Tony. That's it? Five. Yeah. And then in 2020, we had Ruggs, Justin Jefferson, CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, Brandon Ayuk, Jalen Rieger. Yep. So 2020 would be the other year of six. Yeah. Which which also kind of – because you've made this point too without kind of making it. Like more wide receivers are getting drafted and also smaller receivers are getting drafted higher or getting yep. drafted more often. I mean, I'll let you hit on that because you – put out the really good tweet but i think it is definitely worth something like monitoring that we are seeing a lot more wide receivers go early in drafts than we have maybe 10 years ago five ten years ago yeah and we're also seeing like one thing is betas like when i talk about wide receivers that are betas we don't see them in that same uh echelon as alphas in terms of ceiling because they're just when we look at all beta receivers there aren't that many that put up that target share like ultimate ceiling we're looking for 
mm-hmm. there's that chance that like with with the way that the trends are going towards more wide receivers, more small wide receivers, and even smaller wide receivers like owning high target shares even right away. Like we've never seen a twenty percent target share from a beta as a rookie. And then last year we saw both Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle and Elijah Moore had a nineteen point seven percent. I guess I wanna look at this, I wanna look at it um wanna look at something later. I was this was like a two part thing where I'm looking at height and weight for rookies, but I also want to look to see if rookies are actually getting more playing time and getting better because it in recent years there's definitely been something to that. And if so, I think it could mean uh good things for guys like Drake London in redraft. Well we'll we'll tackle that later as we go on. But um for weight for size for rookie wide receivers in draft in the first two rounds. So what the NFL is focusing on, there's been uh there's some variance year to year. But there is a downward trend from uh, from 2010 to 2022, where um, in 2010, the average weight for uh, wide receivers drafted in the first two rounds was 215. And this last year, it was just above 190. So that's quite a dip. And there's been some years above that and below that. Like 2021 was a very small year uh by weight and that's kind of you know year two two i wells devonta smith are kind of bringing that down I, I think the nfl is placing less importance on size and more importance on speed so the way the nfl is shifting i think we could definitely see more beta receivers finish in the top 12. we saw yeah. last with, um renfro and deontay and renfro was just outside in points per game and so was waddle but they're both Top 15 points per game, top 12 in total points, I believe. Gotcha. So I was, I was trying to look at some because, like, we also want to know if, like, they're good prospects or not. Yeah. Like, but one thing that was interesting to me is since 2006, we have eight elite betas, but four of them have been each from the last four drafts, which is mm-hmm. kind of crazy to think about. Marquise like, Brown, Elijah Moore, who else? Sean Bateman, nice. CeeDee Lamb. Love it. Yeah, that's great. And then that's after like having like we had Deshaun Jackson in 2008 and Sidney Rice in 2007. And then you have to wait a while for like Brandon Cooks and Tyler mm-hmm. Boyd, which is about six, seven years afterwards. Yeah. So we're also. Boyd's a funny one because his BMI was like 25.99. So he just misses the threshold. Yeah. So he's a fake beta. He's a fake beta. <laughs> yeah. Except now he's a, a beta in Cincinnati, but. That's neither here nor there, but definitely I agree that um, that's interesting that the four, like in the last four years, we have four half of the elite betas. I think the NFL. Yeah, I think is- even even if I like were to have time and kind of extrapolate this to even upside prospects, because upside prospects are still good prospects. Yeah, I think even then we're going to get like a higher number, like mm-hmm. even like Wandell, Jamison Williams, Garrett Wilson from this year, and then we have like Rondell, Judy. Like those are all super recent. Uh, Calvin Ridley's pretty recent. Uh, Devonte Smith, obviously, Jalen Waddle. Mm-hmm. It feels like there's a lot more um, good beta prospects coming into, and maybe that's that they're being drafted higher and having more opportunities, so they're already better prospects with a better chance of hitting already. Mm-hmm. Like that so, yeah. in turn makes it. But either way, I think it's definitely something to look at because small receivers are kind of the non-stigma I feel like in fantasy football, like, nope. Right. I think they're, they're yeah. behaving on sometimes, which for, 
some reason, like we said before, that elite alpha, like the the alphas have um, higher ceilings across the last uh, ten years. When we look at um, guys like Greens and Julio Jones, actually AJ Green was technically a beta because he's too he's a bit skinny, but the idea remains like the the Des Bryant, the Demarius Thomas, Julio Jones, Calvin Johnsons are the players that you expect to dominate fantasy. But I think the NFL could be shifting towards some smaller receivers. I definitely still would prefer, uh, like all things being equal, I, pref- I would prefer an alpha prospect over a beta prospect. But definitely think it's interesting to, to monitor the way the NFL is shifting. Yeah, I agree. And I still wouldn't say, I would still like believe 100% that betas just won't possess the same like target share upside. Because even like recently, which is why we're monitoring, is we're getting these young like Devontae Smith, Waddle Moores that are mm-hmm. coming in, and their profiles they're they're out producing as rookies what their profile like says that they even should be doing. Yeah, like in a top outcome. So that really says something. But still, even looking at it, and I'm trying to look like a little close here, but if I'm remembering right, the only beta receiver to have a target share above 24% for multiple seasons, like an alpha target share is still Antonio Brown. Like Tyreek Hill, I think this last year was his first year above 24%. And yeah. then there's Deontay Johnson, who definitely could be the next one to do it. He put up a 27 plus percent target yeah. share next year. Marquise Brown actually yeah. has two twenty fours. I can't. Yeah, he does. I almost forgot about Marquise. I was about to say. And then Deontay Johnson had uh, like 25 or 26 if you, I know this is bad data, but it's okay in hindsight because we already know, we already know he's an alpha in a beta body. But if you take yes. out like the two games in 2020 where he left early with an injury, alpha target share. So, so yes, definitely more recently we're seeing it. But yeah, and I think it's interesting. I think you've talked about it before in the Devi channel of your Patreon how a lot of the good receivers in Devi are betas, and I think um, you see weight gain from 24 seven profiles to uh, combine uh, going from uh, high school recruits to college prospects. It, I think you see a weight gain and then going to the NFL, but I think we are going to see more beta receivers entering the NFL and being drafted highly. Yeah, definitely. That is a question I get a lot is like, cause we talk about how alpha receivers do have that higher ceiling and until it's proven otherwise, we can't say it's not. Mm-hmm. That's just how it is. So I do get the question like a decent amount, like, Okay, well, should I take this like alpha, this Debbie alpha, or the alpha that's still in college, however you want to say it? Should I take him over this beta because he has a higher upside? But the thing is, when you're looking at Debbie prospects, is that they not only aren't growing, but they don't have like official mem- like uh, measurements either. Take mm-hmm. someone like Drake London, for example, who by his school is being listed at what was six it? five to ten. Yeah, which technically made him a beta because of BMI. Mm-hmm. But then when he went and did his measurement at the combine, he was a clear as day alpha. Yeah. So you also get weird listings and they're growing. So yes, it's true. But if you are thinking of this in Debbie purses, uh, purposes, it's really hard to tell. Unless it's a guy like like Xavier Worthy, who's 160, 170 pounds, mm-hmm. he'll probably stay beta. Or Jordan Addison, mm-hmm. who's... Small and 170, so skinny. 175, he'll probably stay a beta too. But guys, like, I get asked, like, Kayshawn Boot, no, he's not. He, he's like, they're listing him at a funny height. So he's weirdly a beta. Right. I think I remember Justin Jefferson in college was listed at 6'2, 195. And then at the actual combine, 
he was six foot two oh five and that's alpha. Yeah. So exactly. uh, you can't put too much stock into the college pro uh player measurements, but there's definitely some guys who are probably end up as betas. So who are actually also really good, like Addison, Worthy, isn't Jigma uh beta? Alpha, I don't know. Alpha. Let's go. I don't have I don't know his measurements off the top of my head. But that is a good point too, because we we're just talking about how like more coming in as good prospects. Like mm-hmm. even next year, we're looking at Jordan Addison, very, very likely is an elite beta, another one. And then the year after that, we're looking at Xavier Worthy, another very likely elite beta. So it does seem like there's really good prospects. I, I just can't tell if it's the NFL that are starting to like him more or I think if there's just – I think it's a little bit of both because – Because the college and NFL are probably similarly linked. You know. Yeah, and right now we don't have draft capital. We don't have draft capital to throw onto it, so we can't say – that and these players are still doing really good. Like Jordan Addison, despite being 170 pounds, still won the Blitnikoff Award. So yeah, exactly. Well, actually, Devontae Smith did too, and a Heisman. So right, and Devontae Smith turned out amazingly. So so far in his rookie year, but hey, maybe Addison's the same. Yeah, no. So it is. It's definitely something to monitor because we're noticing kind of a change in what players are getting up op- or not opportunities, but earning the opportunities they're earning. And I, I remember, don't quote me on this, but L- Larky put something out about mm-hmm. how smaller receivers are kind of becoming more common or good ones are becoming more common. Yeah. And one of the things that he pointed to, uh, to was how that we're actually seeing smaller receivers getting used on the outside more than they like were traditionally used in the slot guys like, Elijah Moore are getting some outside rep. Like we're seeing guys yeah. get reps on the outside, which traditionally is the more um, those targets are worth more in terms of fantasy points. Yeah. So that could also have something to do with it as well. And I remember, remember last year when people are pegging uh, more as a, as just a beta slot receiver and it's like, Oh, Crowder's there. So how good's more really going to be as a rookie. And then he just plays outside cause he's that damn good. Yeah, I, like I think yeah, that's another that. that's another indication that the NFL could be shifting to see that okay, they're like not pigeonholing guys into a role based on size. Yeah, that's kind of like Calvin Ridley. Would he have been a slot guy ten years ago, or are we? Like, he's not we short. Like, he's skinny. Yeah, he's a beta, hundred percent beta. Yeah, that's he's very not short. No, he's like then, six foot six one. Okay, that makes sense. Seems yeah, definitely that. skinny. He's in that Jerry Judy mode. Alabama has a lot of smaller prospects. Like we've seen four betas being drafted in the first round just from that school. Actually five now that we have JMO. And yeah. if you include Ridley. And they almost got Mechie in there. Oh, I, I'm cool. still convinced he might have been a first rounder um, if he didn't get hurt. Just That's the, the Bama magic, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, like uh, if, yeah. if we were watching Mechie in the national championship instead of on the sidelines, I'm sure an NFL GM. <laughs> Would do something. Maybe something the Washington like football team instead of Dotson that would have gone Mechie. That'd be funny. But yeah, yeah, definitely. Alabama's doing something. Maybe it's a copycat league in college football too. And there we're seeing more short guys there. So now this is going to go down a wormhole. And it's again just a theory. But my question so we know draft capital matters. Mm-hmm. Now, does it matter more because they're that good at identifying talent or that they're given more opportunity? because they like used a higher pick on him. Like they are attached to him because I, I do think it's both, but I also think like, remember the thing we did where I don't, so I don't like change 
how a player is graded. Like if, for a wide receiver, if they're in the first round, they get a first round boost, whether they're the first pick or the 32nd pick. Yeah. And when we did that, the highest like drafted guys, like one, two, three, four, were still the highest level of prospect. And that's with them getting the same boost that a guy at 32 does. So they, yeah. I think part of it is they are getting like a Jamar Chase is an alley oop to an NFL franchise. Like those are your 100%, like Calvin Johnson's, like those are your 100% going to hit. So we know that. <laughs> yeah. But we also have just such, we have a lot of evidence of the NFL being really bad at this. I think there's a lot of noise in that. And also we have a pretty small sample. Like how many first rounder wide receivers do we have over the last, you have like what, 16 years? I think yeah. I think we're only yeah, looking at we're looking at like less than a hundred, maybe even less than eighty players, right? I think you're gonna see mm-hmm. a lot of noise based on who hits and who doesn't. Yeah, of course. And that's like, that's kind of the whole issue with these fantasy football or football. But logically it makes sense that um first like first pick is better than thirty second, and then mm-hmm. from there you have a linear that you have a decrease from there. I think it's um I think that like I think you can't I don't know. I, f- I feel like you should adjust for a pick as well as round. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on like where you're at, like you shouldn't, uh, in my opinion, like you and me looked at it, like with second and third rounders, like the hit rates, whether at the top of the second round or the t- uh, bottom of the second round are pretty much the same. Yeah. And there's probably and a lot of ways based on where yeah. you exactly slice it. Cause I remember someone saying that the bottom of the second round had better hit rate. But I said it's you probably just chopping up your sample in a way that you got lucky. Yeah, and then we can add, um, like, in recent memory, that was probably true. But then we just added, like, T. Higgins, Elijah Moore, Michael Pittman Jr. <laughs> By and large, I think that it's draft capital is a function of both. Yes, I'm, I'm not saying all of the players yeah. get opportunity, so it works. If it works, you just got to roll with it. I feel like a lot of people um, – don't take the data in stride, even if they use a lot of data and they try to uh, go against it. And I think I feel like going against this just gonna end up biting you, biting you ass more times than it ends up helping you. Like I remember Drew talking about looking in the face of his pro- uh, process and telling him, telling the process that he knows better with Terrace Marshall. I don't think that one worked out. So you just got to stick with your process because the more you try to adjust yourself, I think the more you'll end up screwing yourself over. Yeah, I think if you have a process, the biggest thing is literally just trust it. Yeah. Because when you go away from it, especially if you have a process that like you believe works or you know how it works, then you shouldn't be going against it because you built it for that reason. Like the Terrace Marshall thing, mm-hmm. math-wise, yeah, bad prospect. Although I can't say the same. He was an upside prospect for me. Oh. Yeah, he had him as a bus prospect, like not a good prospect, but where yeah. he's doing what he did where uh, like – there was hype around Marshall. Like there was stuff to like that. You can't say there wasn't, there was definitely intrigue in his profile for sure. Yeah. But you also built a system, you know, to, to help you with the, those hit rates, like understanding all that. And I think it hurts worse when you don't listen to it and get burnt than when you listen to it and get burnt because part of the playing, the odds could have told you, you would have gotten burnt anyways. Yeah, I agree. Uh, All right. Let's talk about respecting ADP. Market value, respecting ADP, and even if you love a guy, don't draft him too high. Yes. So, like, for example, I like Deontay Johnson more than I like CD Lamb in a vacuum. Would I ever in a startup draft Deontay Johnson before I took CD Lamb or CD Lamb was off the board? Absolutely not. 
Right. And I think this is a big, I think this applies a lot to rookie drafts because it doesn't feel like you're reaching. Like, say I like, um, say I like David Bell at his ADP and his, let's say his ADP is 204. That's where I've seen him go a lot. I think he's a bit lower for a Dyko's ADP, but say he's 204 and I'm at the, uh, 111 and i picked david bell because he's maybe he's there for me he looks like a steal based on what i'm saying but instead i i passed on say george pickens and Jahan dotson to pick, take david bell and even if i have david bell above Jahan dotson and george pickens i've just reached multiple rounds based on startup adp based on market value and that's sacrificing a lot of value that you could have with uh you could have held on to by taking pickens or dotson i i have bell ahead of dotson but I picked Dotson ahead of Bell in a startup, not startup, in a rookie draft just a couple of days ago because I respect ADP and I'm not going to reach multiple rounds. I think Dotson is like an eighth or ninth rounder in startups and Bell's going a lot later, like like I think 12th, 13th round off the top of my head. I could be a bit off, but that feels about right. And if you're reaching four rounds in a startup, that's wildly inefficient. So, and then uh, I'm going to, in a way, I guess, counter that but not really counter that because i definitely agree with what you're saying so like say Jahan dotson's adp is like 106 107 like let's just pretend that's where it is mm-hmm. and you like david bell more than Jahan dotson which i do so i'm one of those people yeah we're at the 106 and like say those are my two options i'm not taking david bell there because his adp is a full round later don't yeah. don't ruin that market value but here's my thing like when we get and this is partly maybe where I disagree with you a little bit is say we get into like 201, 202 and you have Jahan Dotson and you have David Bell. So you had Jahan Dotson's ADP is higher, but the thing is in this draft, his market value clearly isn't there. So it's like, it's like drafting, say like, I'll say I have a patron league and those are with all my patrons. So a lot of people who like the same players I do, like yeah. Bell will go higher and Dotson will go lower. And yes, John Dotson has the higher market value, general market value. But in that league, you cannot trade Jahan Dotson to get David Bell. So I think you should always use like general market value ADP as like your reference. But once you get into a draft and like see a guy slipping, I don't think it's like you shouldn't assume that the market value will be there because they're telling you it's not. Market value to trade and market value are are, uh, separate things, I think. I think that uh, to counter your counter, I'm saying that I think the market knows more than we do. I think that that market obviously has more information because there are more people. I think they have some bad information, uh, but I think we also may have bad information, not even know it. Obviously, the market, whatever bad information they might have, they won't know it. But I think that over the over time, that the market is probably uh, pretty good. It has its inefficiencies, definitely. But I think that, like, say, Dotson going ahead in ADP probably means something. I mean, he went ahead in the NFL draft, even if the prospect profile isn't there. Then I think there's definitely an argument to take him ahead, regardless of league. Yeah, no, that's ADP. Yeah, no, it's true also because, like, for the most part, like, take CD Lamb, for example, like, market value also has a way. And then if it doesn't want to be wrong, it won't be wrong. Like, CD Lamb we said last year wasn't worth the wide receiver three title. And I think Cooper actually like on this kind of like a game theory in a way, like CD lamb was wide receiver three. And the year after 
he doesn't produce like he's a wide receiver three and his peripherals don't say like in terms of like target share, like the advanced stuff we're looking at also says he's not worthy of that. But despite that, he's still wide receiver three. So even after that season, you lost nothing on CD Lamb. Like the market value is still the same. So I think part of respecting it, which yes, you're right. Like ADP and the NFL itself are good at this. And that's why you should at least know like what market value is so you can listen to it in some function because yeah. it is really important. I think Johan Dotson has more value in solution than David Bell. Yeah, because also that's 100% right. If Jahan Dotson sucks the first five weeks of the season and David mm-hmm. Bell sucks the first five weeks of the season, Jahan Dotson is the one who's going to be much more fine because one, they were already, market value is already high on him already and yep. the NFL was higher on him already. Yeah, the so Washington, Washington gave him. Washington drafted him in the first round. He's probably going to get more opportunities to prove himself, even if he is bad for the first few weeks. And even after a full year, I think he would get. Even if they have like identical rookie seasons, Jahan Dotson would probably get more opportunities to prove himself. Oh, hundred percent. And that's part of like the thing we're talking about is just those opportunity opportunities you get being a first rounder, second rounder versus that third rounder. So. Thanks for tuning in to the R Squared Fantasy Football Podcast. We'll be back next week. And uh, if you're looking to ask any questions, we'd definitely answer them in the comments. Or you can reach out to us on Twitter or would love to answer. So have a good one. Yep. Thank you.